This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Curator Ministries. Well, hello, table listeners. I'm back with Pastor Maria, and we're in the studio today with my man Sam, my producer, and back by popular demand, my father-in-law, Marshall Reynolds. Thank you for being here. You're very welcome. My uh, the the podcast that you were on last time just had so much traction and had such a just an overabundance of people with follow up questions um, that they emailed and were asking me um, that. Um, I thought we'd ask you to come back and answer some of those questions for the listeners, and you've been very kind and generous with your time to do that, so we'd definitely appreciate that. Well, you're very welcome. Um, I took the top 10. There were multitudes, but I took the top 10 questions, and I'm going to give you the entire um, time frame, so I'm going to just dig right in because I want to make sure we get to all of them. Um, The first question, and this was actually several people asked this question. It really struck a chord with people. when you said that you observed there being a wall between grandfather or grandparents and grandchildren, um, and I had several, especially men, had several men say that they had they had experienced that and never could articulate what that was, but that that really struck a chord with them. Um, and so their question was, if you can identify what you believe the cause in that wall is or that chasm is and how can a grandfather or grandparent penetrate that well i think probably what causes it is grandfathers and well i can only speak from the grandfather aspect and the the grandchildren really don't have enough contact with each other uh for example lord i have uh seven grandchildren other than being at a a dinner with them I mean I haven't sat down and had a one-to-one conversation with the oldest one what I have with the oldest one the second oldest one the third oldest one Uh, I've, I've had conversations with uh Marshall and Grant, but Lord, I haven't had a conversation with Justice for a year, uh, with Claire for a year. Uh, so there is an absence. I think uh, the grandkids maybe feel like the grandparents are uh, old and out of date and so on and so forth, and somebody they have to tolerate. Uh, and, and that's that's really what it gets down to. In order to break down the wall, you got to have a one-to-one conversation with them about life, or what's uh, school, or what, whatever they're into, whatever their interest is at the time. Well, I think when you say that, especially when you hit home with me, when you say about, you know, Marshall and Grant, they're old enough where they just walk across the street or go with you on the farm on Sunday to have that one-on-one time. Justice and Claire probably aren't at that age and stage to do that. So that's probably a part of a parental responsibility to make sure as parents that we create opportunities to cultivate that as well. Well, Justice, when he was much younger, used to come down and see me all the time. (laughs) 
But now he doesn't. Now he got into video games. He, he's, he's into video games or something that's yep. uh, distracting. Take it, yeah. Take Don't take it, it personally. Doesn't come out downstairs and talk to his mom and dad either. So it's a distraction for sure. Right. <laughs> right. The second thing, um, the second question that came in um, was actually talking about um, your approach. Your approach to how you started out your career. So the question was, if you were starting out today, could you use that same approach that you did years ago to be successful? Are those same principles timeless? Absolutely timeless. Okay. Uh, what principles did you employ? Well, the, the primary principle that I employed that uh, worked very well was the time that you worked. Uh, you know, by the time, I mean, the time you started, uh, the time you quit, because somebody shows up at the office at uh, 6 o'clock and stays until 8, really is not much of a judge of what they're accomplishing. Uh, to give you a little example, I worked the territory in Logan for a while, for a couple of years. Uh I realized that uh, in Logan, this is a, a different territory. It's about a two-hour drive up there. So I just made a list, and, and so I would leave the house at 5 in the morning, show up at Guy and Mach Machinery about 6.30, because they worked an unusual time. They started at 6 in the morning and quit at 2 or something like that and see those people and go on and see the rest of them. And then the last one would be over at Man, where they went to work at 10 in the morning and quit at 6.30. And then I would take that gentleman to dinner, either at the smokehouse or we'd go over to, to Pineville, and I forget the name of that old restaurant was over there, but... Uh, so obviously, I'd get home about 11 o'clock, midnight, and uh, of course, then I worked in town the next day, but but uh, that's fitting your time to, your to the job, and it paid off with tremendous results. Do you think there's something to be said for being task-orientated versus time-orientated? For example, I was talking to a young man who was interviewing for a job and was talking about these two companies uh, that were very equivalent, and the leadership style in one company was people were relaxed, that at 5 o'clock it didn't matter where you were at in the project, 5 o'clock was quitting time and you went home. But the other culture was set as, we don't go home until the task is done. And he was really gravitating more towards that because they were just more efficient, he felt like, even though it may take him more time in a day that he just really was a that was more appealing to him. Do you think there's something to that being task oriented versus time oriented? Well, I think being task oriented is is the key to the whole thing. Hmm. How do you, as a leader, create that culture? Is that a teachable skill, or is that something that people's just innately wired that way? <laughs> no, it's really society has frowned on the task-oriented culture and got you back when you were an eight-to-five guy. 
so you you've got to you you've got to fight that and try to keep it focused on task and it's a winning proposition with three or four people, but it's a loser with three or four hundred mm. that makes sense. The third question that came in is what advice would you give your younger self either about finance, business, or family? Well, gee, that's a broad question. <laughs> uh, you know, just pick something, whatever it is, and give it your all from a task standpoint. Uh, remember that the purpose of this is is for the family, for the benefit of the family, and work your time where you where you can do that. We were went through a couple years where we were extremely busy, but I would leave work about five thirty and get home and have dinner with the kids and 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 my wife. And of course, they uh, have to go to bed at nine o'clock. So they go to bed, and I'd go back to work, work an hour or two, and then then get everything finished, and then come back. And I, th- I think things like that are, are what will make it for you. Did you find it hard to balance that type of – like, for example, when you said you came home at 530 um, with the mindset you were going to go back, did you have a hard time balancing um, not bringing work home so that you really could be present with the boys and your wife? Well, I, I didn't work at home. I mean, I came home and uh, interacted with them and had dinner with them and played uh, games with them and board games and uh, whatever whatever it was. And uh, when they went to bed, I went back, went back to work. I think that's the one thing that, and, and Doug and I are guilty of this, that we have a hard time with in our generation with the kids, is that, especially with our cell phones, we're always connected to something. And though we may be home with the boys and Claire, we may not necessarily be present. So when you talked about, you would talk to the kids and play games with the kids, sometimes we're all sitting in the same room, and you probably see it in restaurants, but everyone's on a device with their phones in their face. And that's something that we're really having to work on as a family is, quality time spent versus just time in the presence of people does that make sense well it makes a lot of sense and these these phones have got everybody captured you know the the kids will be on the phones and touching the phones to find out something i mean it's uh phones a terrible distraction if i were a parent today i would ban phones from five o'clock to midnight not a bad idea. I think we're all emotionally dependent on them a little bit. <laughs> I think we. I think we are as a society. It was interesting. Um, Doug was talking to a gentleman. And they were about about you, and and they couldn't believe that you didn't have a cell phone. It was just like they. It was just like they did actually didn't believe me. They thought he was lying. I thought it was so interesting that you that you just assume that everyone has it and that everyone's as att- attached to them. Um, as you are. Does that make sense? It was an interesting observation that he had. Well, you know, I decided I wasn't going to be distracted by a cell phone. And uh, so I didn't have one. Yeah. Well, it's a wise decision. A wise decision. The fourth question that came in is, 
in if what industry, what industries, excuse me, opportunities are available today that if you were a 30-year-old man, you would try to tackle or take on? Any of them. They're all available. They're, anything. I, I would give you an example. Jews threw a... Uh, I signed a note for somebody and ended up with the Midway Drive-In. And I thought, boy, the Midway Drive-In is a great business. It has a great history. Good food. This is this is going to be a winner for somebody. And I remember I talked to an old friend, Dallas Stacker, about running that. He said, I have no interest in restaurants whatsoever. I said, okay. So I talked to a couple other people, and they really didn't have an interest in it. I said, okay. Of course, it was closed at the time. Said, okay. So young man came in and told me, he said, I understand you. I'm, yeah, I own it. Uh, we'd like to buy it, my partner and I. I said, what are you going to do with it? He said, well, we're going to serve the best food and so on and so on. I thought, this, this young man will make it. It's okay. So I sold it to him. And, of course, they, they have a phenomenal business up there. It's a, it's a great business. It's very successful. But anybody could have done it at the Midway. But the three, four, five people I talked to said, oh, no, restaurant business, not for me. Uh, poor Dallas said, no, too many hours, too much. <laughs> okay. Uh, gave you a chance, so be it. Let me ask you this. This is something that is, I, I'm not sure if it's unique to your to our family or if it's just, it's been a unique experience of mine. How about I'll say this? Is that most people, when you talk about, like, for for example, the midway drive-in opportunity, most people have a have a vocation or a job or a business, um, and that is kind of their pigeonhole. That's where they focus all their time and all their energy. But you have this very creative way and this eye and this mind for capturing opportunities in such diverse industries. Um, do you think everyone carries that ability? Like we talked about Dallas Thacker. I mean, he's a great salesman, but he didn't think that he would be good at selling hamburgers and cheeseburgers, for example. Um, he would have been great at it. Yeah, I think so. He would have. I think so. What 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 do you think would help someone who would like to d- diversify themselves more from being pigeonholed into one vocation or one job or, or one business? Well, I th- I th- gee, life is not a, a, a one-way street. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody can do that. Anybody can do it. Do you think it just takes courage, or do you think it takes talent? What do you think it takes? What's the What do you think the formula is? Well, I think you need to understand the finances of it mm-hmm. first, and uh, second, have the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And and to allocate the time it takes to get it done. One thing I've noticed about about you and Doug, and I've, I've been very fortunate to get to witness that, is that. 
you both have a keen ability to see an opportunity, but then also see the people that you need to come along and like undergird to to prop that thing up and to and to move it. Um, that you realize you only have so many hours in a day to dedicate to it for yourself, but you have an ability to give other people opportunities to come in and showcase their talents as well. Does that make sense? Yes, makes sense. Yeah. Well, we're going to put a pin in it right here and take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we will continue on with the rest of the listeners' questions. We'll be right back. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click Donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world. Well, welcome back, everybody. Again, we're here at the table with my father-in-law, Marshall Reynolds, and we are doing a question and answer with listener questions that came in from our first time together. Um, We just ended the last segment on talking about different opportunities that were available today that he would try to tackle on um, if he were just starting out, and that kind of led into an an um, off-question camera uh, conversation about what it what it what it takes for an individual to be diverse and and he shared with us he thought that it just takes courage just to unlock yourself which i think is really interesting because a lot of times i think we as individuals look to other people to kind of pull us a little bit along does that make sense yeah or unlock something in us but it's interesting your perspective is that you carry the key to unlock yourself that's very interesting the fifth question that came in is can you recall a pivotal moment that changed the course of your life well gee I, no i can't recall a pivotal moment that uh, changed the course of my life i mean the closest thing i would have to a, a pivotal moment would probably have been uh, when i was very early in the printing business and trying to get financing, which is uh, much more difficult then than it is today. Uh, I started off at the 20th Street Bank and heading west and stopped at Floyd Stark and Floyd at Shredo Bank and Floyd Stark said yes. And so that was a pivotal moment because if he hadn't said yes and I was traveling east to west, I may have went all the way to California before I got a yes. I don't know. <laughs> You had a gatekeeper that opened up the opportunity for you. Yes. Do you think it's important for, and and that's one thing that I admire about you, is you're very um, generous, both with your time and your resources, that I think is almost a lost art. I think that we as a society are very selfish, to be honest. And I don't think that we take a lot of time to turn around and make sure we're helping the person behind us come up, like the Floyd Starks of the world that gives the younger generation or just just appear the opportunity and the time sometimes we need to stop our race to help someone else finish theirs does that make sense yeah yeah what level of importance would you would you put on turning around and helping other people out as well 
Well, gee, I mean, I've always put a a very high priority on that and helping them when you can. Mm-hmm. The next question that came in is what's a valuable life lesson that you've learned from a challenging experience, a mistake, or a failure? Well, early on, I really didn't have the financial education or experience or so on and so forth. And I can recall having lunch with a customer, Joe Fish, up in Logan, and, uh, Lord, I didn't even know what the term cap rate meant at that time. But Joe said he was he was very frustrated. Somebody had come to him and wanted him to invest in something. And he said, geez, it's, it's, I have a cap rate of 0.982. I said, what, 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 what is a cap? What, what, what are you talking about, Joe? And he said, well, if if I bought a building, then I've got to lease it for $1.60 for each $100 I put into it. Now, that figures out the cap rate of 19.2. And he said, when people bring me stuff and I tell them no, it's because it's less than $1.60 on the return. And $1.60 will take you through cheap interest, High interest, whatever you're, you're good. So I, I implemented that my dollar sixty myself, and I've, I found that it paid wonderful rewards and kept you out of a lot of losing propositions, and uh, that was a valuable lesson. What's interesting, what jumped out at me about that story as you're telling it is, a lot of people in that same position may have felt um, silly or felt insecure and would have never asked that question, what's the cap rate? And if you had never had the confidence in yourself and pushed past those feelings, you would have never learned what a cap rate was and look what, what, look what the value that it brought to you. Isn't that interesting? Um, well, it, it, it was, but I mean, but I didn't know, so I asked him. Right. And... Uh, Joe Fish, one of the brightest uh, people I've ever known. And uh, Joe Fish just gave me a lesson like he was a sixth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've had multiplicity of people that have done that. The next question that came in is, how how do you define success? And has that changed over time? Well, the way I define success is, uh, gee, this is this is pretty broad. Uh, the way I define success is what is it that you can do to make yourself successful? And basically, in America, we always tie it back to finances. So. The first thing you have to do is be successful financially before you can be successful at all the other things that are out there. Mm -hmm. So build yourself a good financial base. It's something that can grow and should grow if you put the time in it. And that's the way I define success. 
What's the number one thing that you're that you're glad that you learned that made a difference in your life? The number one thing that I learned mm-hmm. was probably a dollar sixty on a hundred <laughs> uh, that day, because as Joe pointed out, because you have a little bit of money, a lot of people bring you deals, and. Ninety-nine percent of them are are not good, and if you tell them no, then they think you you feel like you're some sort of almighty and, and so on. And so it gets into personalities. Uh, you know, you you have to explain to them why you're telling them no, and essentially draw them a picture and try to educate them and if they agree with you then you're successful and if they if they shrug their shoulders and walk away you're you failed i remember you giving doug and that advice that piece of advice um when it came to the kids that you said you just cannot give them arbitrary no's that you have to explain to them why no is a no and let your yeses be yeses and your no's be no's. Don't waver back and forth, but be very clear with the kids um, why the no is there. Let them understand. So it's just not that mom and dad just saying no just because we were in a bad mood or whatever. And we have implemented that, and that's actually one thing that our kids have come back and complimented us on. So I'm thankful for that bit of information. You can even actually employ that down to just parenting. You can. So one of the questions that came in actually was for Doug, but Doug is selling printing today, so he couldn't be here. But one of the questions, he answered it for, for, for me to, to let the listeners hear the answer. But the question was, um, what was the best pieces or piece of advice that you've ever gotten from your dad or lessons that you've gotten from your dad, either in business or finance, family or in life? Um, and he actually had a hard time reducing this down. He goes, there were so many. Uh, but there was a few that he was willing to let me share online. Um, and the one he said um, that one of the one of them that jumped out was about was about business and finance. And he said that dad never has ever said this, that this was something he has observed through observed him through his behavior um, that don't ever tackle something. Don't go into something thinking I need to make money. So go into something thinking, I need to do something valuable. That if I can create value for someone, the money will come. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, if, if you tackle something to make money, then there are a lot of things that can go wrong with that. But if you can add significant value to whatever the project is, then the, the money will be there for you. And if that's that's the test, if can you add some value, and how much value can you add? Do you think, and this is something that he has said to our boys about, um, even just even with school at their level um, or whatever that looks like, that if you just pick something and do the best, you just be the best at that thing that what you need will gravitate to towards you just pick whatever it is and be the best at that because that's how i sell pipelining he was like there's lots of people who cannot afford our service he goes but we are the best 
at this and because we serve we service the best quality projects with the best with the best employees people pay a premium price to get the best does that make sense it makes a lot of sense yeah one thing that he also said um when asked about life lessons is he said that he can remember when he was little that you were very busy and that there were lots of times that you would be gone before he even got up to go to work. He said, but he goes, I knew that even though dad was all over the country working, he says, I always knew that mom and myself and Jack were his first priority. He said, again, it was nothing he ever said. He never had to say that because we just knew that um, again through his how he demonstrated what advice would you give parents today who have an incredible demand on their time to be able to make their children feel that same way that though they are incredibly busy that they are their number one priority well gee i mean that's that's something that takes a lot of thinking but uh uh i think if you if you if you show that when you are with them that you're the most important thing going if when you call in if you're in los angeles and you call your wife at night and say are the kids up let me speak to them uh how's this going remember something specific uh they were having trouble with spelling or how's the spelling going and let them know that you're tied into them mm-hmm. by by that. That's I, I think that's important. One thing that he jumped that he said to me about you, and, and I I have witnessed this as well. Was one of the things I was always I've admired about you is that there is a level of importance of knowing what you don't know. And oh, he Lord. said, <laughs> he said that is important. He said that it's again nothing you've ever said. It's that you know um, he's learned it through observation. Is that when people will come to you and ask you for advice or ask you for an answer, that if you know that you that if you know there's someone out there that has a better answer or knows more than you do about that particular topic, you won't kind of buckle under the pressure of the question and the the need to answer it that you'll say you know what floyd stark would be the better person to ask about a loan than me let me give you floyd stark's phone number or, or fill in the blank um that you've never had this inflated ego that would require you just to answer a question that you've always said i don't know a lot about that but i will direct you to someone that does well that's true yeah that's true you you can't you, you lord you can't be an expert at everything and uh, to know what you don't know is that would save 90% of the bankruptcies in America if people knew what they didn't know. I think it's interesting, and it also kind of goes back to that comment in that cafe with the gen- gentleman who was giving you that, that lesson on, on, um, on cap rates is that know what you don't know and then be humble enough to ask questions. Do you know what I mean? Um, don't buckle under the pressure of needing to um, needing to know all the answers. Does That's that make true. sense? It Everybody makes a lot of sense. 
a story of Grant. Um, he went to a, a, a board meeting with Doug over the summer, and you were there, and Doug was there, and J- Jack was there, and then all of these heads of the departments were there. And he, he came home. He goes, Mom, I guess I'll sit in this room. He goes, I'm the youngest guy in the room. He goes, I'm still in high school. He was like, and I'm thinking, why am I here? And I was like, you're there because you earned a seat at the table. Why would you think that you couldn't be there? And he was like, well, I'm just I'm just a high school kid. I'm like, well, you may just be a high school kid now, but you won't always just be a high school kid. Do you want to have one of the positions of the men at the table? And he was like, yeah. I'm like, then you deserve to be there. Just, just, just start with where you're at. Learn from and glean from the people that you're in the room. If you have something to, to add, great. And if you don't, that's okay, too. But have the courage to start. Does that make sense? And I think a lot of kids don't have the courage to sit in a room with older people who are more advanced or accomplished than they are and feel comfortable just being in a starting position. Well, take this back to the wall between grandparents and grandkids. I mean, most kids don't have the courage to do that. Yeah. And they need to. Yeah. That was the one thing that Doug said, and, and again, I would I would say that I have attested to that. Is he said one of the things that 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 you can walk away from Dad is that Dad doesn't need to tell you a lot of these principles or tell you a lot of these lessons. Dad demonstrates them, and so you get them through demonstration, just being around him, which I think is admirable. Right. Um, the last question that came in. Um, was what do you see this region and that this region would be where we're living is in Huntington Tri-State area. What do you see this region looking like for the next generation? Well, I I think this region is uh, quite honestly on the move with this steel plant going on up in Route 2. Most of the officers of that company are going to live in Huntington because it's a much better city than Point Pleasant or Galpolis. Uh I think, uh, you know, see, I'm involved with this group at Point Pleasant. They've just sold 656 acres up there for $20,000 an acre, so somebody's going to put in something significant, probably bigger than the steel than the uh, steel company is so i think i i, I really think that you you're going to see this area move and move solid you know it it takes jobs it takes jobs for the for the for the the kid that uh, really didn't make it but he he needs a job that's there every every Monday and and somewhere to go and somewhere to make a living and you know get get these people off this welfare business get them off this uh, tied to the federal government get them off this uh, you know the, the Amish have a unique way they don't want to check like. Amish don't take Social Security, even though they've earned it. With, they think if you get a check, there's a string attached to it. 
So if you get a check from the federal government for nothing, there's a string attached to it. they may not define the string, but you you will feel the string after a while. So independent people are what made America, and we, we need to get back to this concept, and I think we're going to have a wonderful opportunity to do that here in West Virginia. Well, that's exciting. I hope I get to see it. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for coming in. I appreciate you know your time is very valuable, and I appreciate you. Well, you're Let very us welcome. pick your brain a little bit. You're very so welcome. So, thank you, loyal table listeners, and we will see you next time. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world.